It is good to be with you in the house of the Lord today. Isn't it? Good to be with each other? Yeah. So uh, I am the singles pastor. I've been for 11 years here. And I work in the area of, um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful singles. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing because at the beginning of the service, there were about 40 of you in here. Something happened. I looked up. Um, so I work in the area of benevolence, and I am one of those rare people that love talking to people in pain. Um, I love to come visit you at the hospital and pray with you, and I, and I know that's because I really do believe that God heals when I pray for you. He changes lives. He does it every day, and he can do it in a moment. And sometimes in that moment, he can create a defining, defining moment that can change you for the rest of your life. So I get pretty fired up about teaching and preaching, and I, uh, as some of you know, I'm also a baseball coach, so uh, I actually, I never get a chance to do 35-minute motivational speeches. My players won't stand for that, uh, but, but um, you know, when, I, when I know that I'm going to you know, share a little bit, I, I, uh, I kind of have this little routine. Well, Baseball-wise, my uniform is, is just so. I like to polish my shoes. Um, I like to, it doesn't matter whether I'm preaching or whether I'm in my baseball uniform, I wear the same Nike socks. Um, <laughs> and if we win, I wear them every day. Uh, my wife makes me, you know, tumble dry my uniform top so it's not, it's not wrinkled. But when, you, when you're preaching, uh, you know, that's nice for a coaching uniform, but when you're preaching, you, you better have your armor, your spiritual armor on. So this morning, I took a little walk at Eibach Park, and, and so I was walking like this, and I go, better get dressed for the big game, all right? Feet shod in readiness, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, kind of went through it all, and I'm walking down, and everybody thought there is a big monkey man walking down the road. What, what is he doing? What is he thinking? And wouldn't you know it, well, let, me, let me just tell you, anytime Anytime you think that you're a big deal, God will humble you, right? I'm going to show you a story from the past. I shared it with the first service, um, and they thought it was okay. Um, they let me preach the rest of the message. Uh, but I, you know, I, I don't want you to think anything different from me forever, but I have to share you this little humbling little story that I have here. One time, um, it, it's kind of a little tragedy uh, involved in it. I had a situation where we had a... a um, uh, a baby die at birth, and later on uh, something happened to the mother of this child, and so I had to do both funeral services in a one month, uh, in, a, in a one month time frame. Very deep, very difficult, probably more warfare than I've ever felt. I knew that a lot of people with this service uh, would not be saved. I knew that it would take this intense warfare. I knew it would take a, a lot out of me to to prepare, and so I. Um, you know, I got warfare ready. Uh, in between that, I got to watch Tommy Leesman train in MMA. And, you know, you got all kinds of tough dudes in there, and they're tough. And, you know, and, I, and I thought, you know, sometimes we have to, it, it takes a little bit of energy, a little bit of doing to get involved with winning souls for Jesus. Because you got the enemy there just constantly beating you up and bashing you and, and just trying to tell you, you're not going to do it, you can't do it, they'll never receive what you have to say. 
they're too broken, they'll never receive healing. All these things just keep coming after us. And I, I said, I'm speaking for Jesus, and I'm going to go after these souls. And when, when comes service time, we have a service for the child, a service for the mom, and, and I mean, salvations came. And I remember just a week later, I, I mean, there were a number of salvations. I felt, I felt pretty good. Um, you know, I teach Sunday school for singles, but, but you know, most of them are already saved. And they like me. Um, you know, so they, they have to listen to me. Uh, you don't. You can, you know, you can, you can write on that little communication card, you know. Boom, here. Cut them off. Um, but so a, a week later, I have a dream. And in this dream, remember, I'm fired up. I could do this. I'm fired up and I am hovering over a scene that's taking place that's complete chaos. Now, Mike, I'm, I'm into, like, I grew up with Batman, Superman, Kato for the karate guy, um, some of you, Gumby. I mean, I, 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 I grew up with these guys, so I, I'm into superheroes too, and so I'm hovering over this situation, and it's chaos, and I'm about to go save the scene, and all of a sudden I take a look, you know, in my dream, I'm taking a look at myself. Talk about humbling. And I'm not kidding you. No lie. I am Peter Pan. <laughs> Peter Pan. Couldn't you, Lord, just give me something else? So I told Lisa this story, and the next morning she goes, No, honey, you're a stallion. I'm going, Yeah. <laughs> All that, sorry, long story to just say, say, I. I, I am I'm humbled. There is nothing that's going to take place today out of performance, out of clever speech that God does not want to take place, right? He ultimately is the one that wants to reach your heart, speak, hopefully speak through me and touch you in a way that'll, that'll just alter, maybe change your life, maybe speak to you through him, something he'd want you to hear today. So um, you know, it's, it's with, that, with that fear of God that I come to you this morning. Um, Happy Fourth of July to you! Small tribute that I have for. Uh, hopefully, it encompasses all Fourth of July. It's a personal story. It's a private story. It comes from um, a family that I visited recently, whose father passed away. Connie Dover's father had passed away. Had a chance to spend a little time with him uh, two to three weeks prior to his death, and uh, I am going to declare right now that I am probably the worst caregiver there is in, in the history of caregiving. Um, Towards the, towards the end, I asked Connie if I could share this with you. Uh, towards the end of his, like, three month of his life or whatever, he slept a lot. So I got to provide care for him. So he slept on one end of the couch, and I slept on the other end of the couch. <laughs> so it was like this perfect, perfect little setup there, except for they had this little yappy dog that basically tries to sniff me and come up to me and wake me up every single second, try to tell me I'm not doing my job. <laughs> so, but he, but he, um, so I had a chance to, to visit with him and then watch the last three weeks of his life, the way the family came alongside him and just blessed him with love. He blessed them with love all his life and they're blessing him with his love. You have grandkids running around. They're drawing pictures of Grandpa Joe. I mean, they have him flying in the sky, big arms, big fingers. You know, you just know the big smile, lots of hair in his head. I mean, he was just just a picture of, of healthiness and these pictures, their picture of him, their, their remembrance of him was just, just amazing. Well, he ended up passing away and uh, 
Connie, Connie was telling me about that day, uh, how, you know, when, when someone passes away, they, they have to cover the body before they take him away. And uh, Marie Hollyball had made a special little uh, player, prayer shawl for him. And uh, she didn't want to give that up uh, for that. And then they thought about a sheet, and she said, well, that's kind of, you know, I don't want to do that as well. Um, and the gentleman who, who came to get uh, Joe said, asked her, he says, says, has he ever been in the military? And then Connie said, yes. And he goes, I'll be right back. And he came, he went to his van, and he comes back, and he unfolds a United States flag of America and places it on his body. In some cultures, some of the greatest honor you could ever give another person is, is an honor that they could never say thank you for. You know, I think for Independence Day, for the celebration of our country, for freedom, there's a lot of folks out there that we can say, that we could say thank you to who will never hear us. They are military men. There are, there are missionaries who have given their lives. There are per- people that serve right here uh, in our church. They serve in our community. They bless people. They help keep America free. And I think that we need to give at least a hand clap ovation of thank you and appreciation for them on this 4th of July. That photograph there is, is a picture that Marie Hollybaugh took of the flag that was presented to Connie's family the day of, of, his, of uh, Joe's service. And so, um, th- those, you guys know, I, I, I like baseball a little bit. Um, so one day I was, uh, so I just have a couple of baseball analogies for you, like four. Um, but I was... Uh, we had just finished winning our, one of our state playoff games, went over to Deb and Jason's house. They're sitting over here, friends of ours. Uh, and we're, I'm up in the balcony there, and one of our former uh, singles who's now married, his name is Jeremy, and he has his little four-year-old son. I think is he four? Yeah, he has his four-year-old son with him. And I'm sitting there, and I'm in my, in my uniform, feeling pretty good about things, feeling good about the win. And... Uh, the little kid comes over to me, and he, and he looks at my feet, and he kind of looks at my, and he just kind of checked me out, kind of did this. I looked at me, and, and um, his dad said, that's Pastor Alex. He goes, Pastor Alex talks to God. <laughs> he said, Pastor Alex did mom, mom and my wedding. He said, he prays for people who are sick. And the little kid looks at me. Looks up and he look, he looks down. And he says, "Well, where's his sword?" <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, that was deep. I could just close in prayer right now." <laughs> huh? Hebrews four twelve says, "For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart." 
So we could just merely read Scripture. And for each of us, it could mean something different. The Holy Spirit working through the Word, touching our lives in a different way. For some, He'll be knocking down walls. For others, He'll be building you up and encouraging you. For some, it might just require a change. But it is the Word of God that's powerful and alive. So no, war, no word means no sword, and no sword means just another man talking. And I humbly submit to you that I'm just not that good. I'll never be. Just a short testimony of my, of my calling uh, in, in ministry. This happened 30, 35 years ago. I was in the eighth grade in part of the Catholic Church. The priest spoke at our graduation, and... I went home that night, was laying in my bed, and I feel as if God himself visited me there. And I felt this little tugging in my heart, something about God, something about, I I didn't even know terms such as ministry or service or godly love, you know, Holy Spirit stuff. I just knew that God was real. Year later, ninth grade, I, I am with my older brother Richard, my older brother Richard, he, he's the first one the family saved. I had nine brothers and sisters. One just, brother just passed away. Mom and dad, 20-something nieces and nephews, all kinds of cousins. My brother Richard was the first one saved. And from the day that he was saved, he came to our home and pursued each one of us until he was able to share the message of Jesus with us. And I believe that most everyone is saved to this day. Yeah. And so went... In the ninth grade, went to mow a lawn with my brother in the summertime. And a missionary woman invited us in the house for some lemonade. And as we were drinking the lemonade, she said, she said uh, would you mind if I prayed for you? So she prayed for us. And then, and then when she was done, she says, I want to tell you something, Alex. She says, I heard from the Lord that you are going to be a pastor. Remember, this is the ninth grade. You are going to be a pastor. He goes, you are going to be teaching doctors and lawyers and some really smart people about Jesus. He says, they're going to know a lot. But what you have to share is the most important thing that they will know. Yeah. Wow, and that was, that was powerful. So that's 30-something years ago, and I still have the opportunity to teach some really smart people. Lots of you are here, here today. So um, we're going to be talking out of of Acts chapter 3, or I'm going to be sharing out of Acts chapter 3 today. In a nutshell, you know the story because you know the song. Peter and John went to pray. All right, they met a a man along the way. Great things happened. One defining moment after another. This man asked for a certain thing. He gets something else. He's healed. Next thing you know, he's walking through the temple. People start questioning John and Peter. What's going on here? And then, in finale, something incredible happens. People gather with great hunger to hear the Word of God. That's what we're going to discuss today and share. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to share the message uh, I believe that you have brought. Let it be one that is uh, building up of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, before we get to the notes, I just have some questions, something for you to think about while you're listening. 
What if suddenly you were faced with a situation that was too big for you, just like Peter and John? What if suddenly God interrupted your mid-afternoon routine, and how would you respond? Would God be able to get your attention? What if suddenly, like the lame beggar, you had a breakthrough of life-changing proportions? Or what if suddenly, because of that breakthrough, you could no longer be what you've always been? And what if suddenly you saw a crowd gathering in a frenzy because of something they saw you do? And at that moment, would you be about you and your story? Or could you be so bold as to make your, make your way to seize the opportunity to share the message of hope to the hungry? Let's begin reading from Acts chapter 3, reading the first seven verses. One day I was cleaning, uh, helping clean here in the sanctuary, and I found these glasses. And that's how I figured out that I needed glasses. <laughs> so if you recognize these, you can have them after today's service. <laughs> in the meantime, I need them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How do they look? My eyes are big. All right. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. I think it's up there, right? All three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he had put every day, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So point number one, you could fill in the blank right now, was just another ordinary mid-afternoon day for Peter and John. When I put my glasses down and I begin to read again, it's not because my eyes have been healed, it's just I forgot that I had my glasses. Or I forgot where I put them. So Peter and John, right, right away, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to, for me to get through Scripture because I just get stuck on certain things, and maybe, maybe you guys do too. But I just read Peter and John. I mean, what are Peter and John doing hanging together? Don't they seem to be the most unlikely pairing of, of disciples? I mean, Peter. Peter was the guy that seemed to ask all the wrong questions. Seemed to be the wrong place at the wrong time, did the wrong things, or stepped up, said things that he wasn't supposed to say. And here you have John. When you picture John in your mind, how do you picture John? Leaning against Jesus, right? I mean, he just seemed to be the good son that never made any mistakes. I got one of those. I just had to say that. <laughs> so they're hanging around together. I mean, that, that is remarkable in itself. And then, and then keep in mind, Peter and John, they're not just your two average church-going folk from the growing church of that particular time. They are leaders, if not the leaders, Peter and John, and they are pausing for a moment to hear, hear this, this man beg.
Turn the page. So, Peter and John being the, le- being the leaders, what happens if Peter and John find themselves just too busy to pause for that particular moment, and they, and they just move on and head to prayer? What happens if, if you know, that it, it's a good life? You ever hear that little Christmas story? What if it was one of those things where just Peter and John just didn't do what they were supposed to do? I mean, if any, if any time the message there it just says, leaders, if you are leading, you need to step up. And you need to get involved and you need to participate. Another baseball analogy, I had a group of young men, 26 kids come out for the team. I had, I had four leaders, four seniors. One of the, leader, one of the senior leaders uh, decided to show up for a morning practice two minutes late. It was only two minutes. But this was the leader, not just another guy on the team, a leader, someone we expected to be a leader. So I like to do object lessons with them to drive the point home. And this particular point, remember, leadership needs to step up. Leader needs to be, needs to be different. And so I brought them all here, right here to center court, 6.30 in the morning practice, gathered them together, and I said, 25 of you, lift this guy up onto your shoulders. And I proceeded to read them the little Christian competitor's creed. There are like five paragraphs in it, and I read it a whole lot slower than I'm talking now. And they were holding this man up over their heads. And I'm trying to give them the object lesson about leadership. I'm saying when leadership doesn't step up and do what they're supposed to do and step out and be bold and be courageous, then there's some things that are not going to take place within church, within church structure, within our companies, within our families. There's some things that are not going to take place that need to take place. So I read one, one paragraph. Then I walked over to this corner right here, and I said, follow me, and they kind of carried. Does this work? It's worked for everybody else when leadership doesn't stand up, right? It truly is. But Peter and John did. It became a defining moment for them, and in turn, it became a defining moment for that young man, actually the 40-year-old man, who up to that point had not ever walked. Now I want to get to this other part, this part. This is the, this is the good part, one of my favorite parts of scripture. Verse 7, Acts verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Boy number two, the lame beggar at the gate. Until then, he is what he has always been. Forty years. Forty years at the gate. I don't know how long he'd been begging there, but he'd been there a while. Then there's a miracle. Through Peter, a man who speaks, God moves. And you think, whoa, well, that's cool. How, how does that happen? How, how does that connection happen? Well, my mind instantly goes to something 
a lot more powerful than that one scene right there. I mean, listen to this. If you ever doubt, you ever wonder if God can move or how God can move or that God can move, you can just go right to the beginning of your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. As I scan the body of Christ, I mean, there has to be a few people out there in darkness who could use a little bit of light. And we as men and women of God aren't the ones that are going to bring that light. God can bring the light. God saw the light that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. A miracle just like that. Peter speaks in the name of Jesus walk. The man gets up and what does he do? What would you do if you've never walked before? It was a routine call-out from the lame beggar. Perhaps something he's done for years. For him, perhaps he was just calling out to ordinary men. Remember that sword thing I told you about? I just got to tell you. Church, the world may view us as ordinary men and women, but if we do not wield that sword and power of the name of Jesus are some things that will not take place unless we step up. It's important. So not only was this man walking, but Scripture said he was walking and leaping. Leaping. I mean, you think he cared who was watching? I've been in sports for 25 years. And the expression... Sports and church, church more than that. The expression of emotion is one of those areas that absolutely, I mean, it fascinates me watching people, the emotions. Some people have these expressions and other people are just really bottled up. I think my wife, she carries for both of us the inward joy of the Lord. I mean, and she does it with her outward expressions. I, on the other hand, I'm under perfect imprisonment of emotional containment. Right? I'm sure you guys know people like that. I mean, this is happy. I was originally going to title this message, Uh-oh, I'm getting too happy. But then I had to change. I was 14 years old. I went to my favorite baseball field, Blair Field. I was with one, a very impressionable coach on me. His name was Jerry Nario. Uh, I was sitting with him in the stands. We're watching the game, and the guy, the, the hitter, hits a triple. And when he gets to third base, he is jumping up and down. The most ecstatic guy you'd ever seen hit a triple. And Coach Jerry looks over to me and goes, you should never do that. And I said, why, Coach? And he says, because you've got to act like you do this all the time. <laughs> so I probably need deliverance from that day, because I think I'd been the same. Up or down, it doesn't make a difference. I think I did, I, I did show emotion when my kids were born because I held both of them up like I was, you know, circle of life guy. You know, like, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. This year, this year I had uh, 
a situation. I, I, I don't give a lot of emotional, motivational speeches during the game, but there's this one scene where we're losing by three runs versus Dayton. And, and uh, Willie Brucker, one of, our, one of our stronger hitters, was up. Uh, remember, we're losing by three runs. And I called timeout, and I called Willie over to me, and Willie comes over to me, and, and I said, Willie, look at me in the eye. And he looks at me in the eye. Except I didn't use that voice. That's kind of like a different voice. Right there. I said, Willie, look at me. And he, and he looks at me, and I said, Willie, I said, I want you to take a look. We're right in front of our dugout. I said, take a look at every single guy in this dugout. And look at the whites of their eyes. Look at them in the eye. I said, you see them? I said, every, and those guys can hear me too. And I said, every one of these guys is counting on you to come through. So you need to come through. Right? Send them back over to hit. No kidding. True story. The next pitch, line drive shot, home run, grand slam. No kidding. Grand slam. And I'm at third base. Now remember, I just gave a Newt Rockney speech. I, I'm feeling good. There's a connection between what I said and what he did as if I did it. You know, it's like. So as soon as he hit it, I go, ah! It's like. Say, like, what is it? Why, why can't you just let yourself be happy? I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, this guy was happy, happy, walk, leap. I mean, next thing you, he meets through the temple, he's leaning on them. Do you imagine Peter, John, whatever, they're just trying to preach, and you got this happy guy next to you, and he's bouncing up and down, excited, because he can walk. He can walk. Loosen up, people. Loosen up, Alex. Okay. He's embracing freedom in new ways that he's never experienced before. You know, it's possible that we could be afraid to experience new freedom in ways we've never experienced before. It's like becoming a friend to the misery. Maybe God just wants to do something at a moment, in a defining moment. Just change all that. I did this wild thing the other day, reading the internet, doing research. All right, I'm a little older now. I'm not 20 anymore. I found a site that's really cool. Gives you information. Find out everything's happening to you if you're older. It's called the AARP site. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like, I, I stumbled up, upon it. Then I pretended that I wasn't reading it, but I saw something really interesting in there. I mean, there was this, these, this guy that was old, and he was talking about his wish list. I mean, listen, listen to this. They're, they're just kind of saying, these are what people say after a long life of just doing and living. He said this, five, five things he said, and I'm not going to go into any detail. There's some good detail in there, but I'm not, I, I don't want to do that. Number one, he said, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. He says, I wish I didn't work so hard. Talked about how he missed his children's youth, stuff like that. Number three, he says, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Whoa. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. It could never happen because I don't like touch, but I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, he says, I wish I had let myself be happier. Be happier. Let yourself go a little bit, be happier. With defining moments, sometimes there's no dress rehearsal, and, and, and sometimes our responses, our reactions could be uh, spontaneous, and it's okay. Don't fear that. Don't fear that. 
So let's move on. Peter and John, now they are heroes. Peter and John, this man has been healed. And so, a miracle's just taken place. Now, Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They come running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he says to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of godliness we've been, we have made this man walk? Number three in your bulletin, if you're following along, Peter declares Jesus to be the real story. I look at this. What is the reward for this awesome deed and boldness and courage that Peter and John received there at the gate? They got thrown into jail. So instead of them saying, Peter and John, why don't you come to dinner with us? Because I'd like to know a little bit more about this. No, they had to go before the heads the heads of the whole city, and answer to this miracle that's taken place. They go before the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, and they're asked this question, by what power does this take place? By what power does this take place? One of my little side things that I do is I collect documents, information, and articles and charts on conflict. It's sometimes understanding that people will create conflict by the type of questions that they ask. And that if you answer their question by using their frame of reference for asking the question, they will cause you to stumble. Sometimes there's three different things that they're they're getting at. The first one, they they, want to ask you to question so they can get what you have so they can do what you do. So they can get what you have, so they can do what you do. Well, there's a surprise there when Peter and John went before those guys because they, they couldn't, they weren't going to give some methodical answer. That's even a word. I just made it up. They, they weren't going to give that because how was this man healed? In the name of Jesus. So you can't, Heal in the name of Jesus unless you have Jesus. So they were stuck there. Number two, they want to know what you know so they can they were ask you questions so they, they can discredit your position so they can exalt theirs. What did all these rulers stand to lose? Their position, their authority, their law, their influence. They stand to lose all that if they cannot get a proper answer. Well, Peter and John, what was their response? We have this association with Jesus. And because of this association with Jesus, we're just being obedient. How could you take away that argument? Number three, three, sometimes in conflict, people try to gather information so they may counter what is spiritual with that that is philosophical. So here's something that very spiritual took place, a miracle. A man was not walking before this day. There's got to be something scientific about this. But 
a philosophical argument wasn't going to be won that day because it was the power of God himself that made this man walk. Anybody remember a missionary here named Mike DeVito? Mike, Mike he's, a, he's working now here in the States, but I listened to him speak 15 or 20 years ago. We brought him to our college group, Lisa, you remember? Uh, and and it, uh, I, you know, the night that he spoke at, at this retreat, it, it was an outdoor retreat in the mountains. We're camping, and it had to be 25 degrees out there. I didn't care what he said. I just wanted to get out of the cold. But there's one thing that stuck in my mind. He, he, says, he says, it's all about Jesus and his story. It's Jesus and his story. And, 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 and Peter and John, I mean, they, they were at this place of tremendous amount of leverage, tremendous amount of notoriety. They, 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 they had it made. They could have been voted governors. But that argument was not what they led with. They just wanted to tell about Jesus. They, they, they came through, eventually just hammered the group. You know, sometimes you think, you just, I just want to make some friends today. I mean, can you guys just see what just took place? But he just told them about Jesus, accused them. He just wielded the sword to them and said, do you guys understand that what you guys did was wrong? But he didn't leave them right there. We learned, I learned this, this phrase on our Wednesday night class that was, that was just kind of neat, that, that when it came time for Peter and John to share at that little porch area, that little colonnade, they didn't share information with the group. They shared revelation. See, information, information is just merely, this is what you did, and you were in trouble. Revelation says, yeah, this is what you did, and you're in trouble. But guess what? There's hope. And so the message, the gospel message began to be poured out. And I believe, uh, actually, as Scripture says, there's a lot of people's life who were changed that day. Eventually, Acts 3.19, they say, Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Number four, in a, in a moment... In your bulletin, in a moment, Peter seizes the opportunity for yet another defining moment. It says the people were running to the, to the colonnade, and it says that Peter saw this. What did Peter see? What did Peter see that we should see? He saw people hungering to know about Jesus. He saw this, he recognized this, and then he sees the moment. He sees that opportunity and it became a defining moment for all those that were there, just hungering, hearing the word, and turning their lives to Jesus. He cut to the chase. He talked about repentance. So it wasn't about the miracle. As it turns out, it ends up being about Jesus. Jesus is the one that creates the defining moments. No, Jesus, not likely a defining moment. Somewhere along the way, either we ourselves need to hunger for him or seize opportunities to help others and share them with them the gospel message so that they can have their, their hunger.